0: Sally Ride loved the Challenger and she loved those humans that her classmates, I I told you how many were in that class of 78. She knew Judy, she knew Ellison, she knew Dick, she (laughs) knew Ron and she knew the challenger her ship she was so emotionally tied up in this commission like whatever they thought they were ticking a box by putting her on this thing they just missed the fact that she had no interest in not sticking it to the fucks that killed her fucking friends mm-hmm. by being bastards right absolute bastards history i'd like to follow me Welcome back to Hilf, history I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody, podcasting from The Den. That's the Deluxe Edition Network. To find more great podcasts in The Den, click the link in our show notes or go to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Now, this is part two of the Hilfing of the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster with my guest and childhood friend, Adam Andreasen. If you find yourself here before listening to part one, go back and hop into bed with that one first. We got to know the crew, including of course, the famous school teacher, Krista McCullough, and we follow them on their journey all the way to the launch pad that fateful day and then sob, we lost them all over again. Um, today, we pick up the pieces, some literal, and tread the twists and turns of the investigation and the NASA cover-up that almost worked. Oh, let's get started. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we originally started, Talking, Adam, you, you you, had suggested as your hilf that you would want to do the history of kissing. <laughs> Gasp. <laughs> Which is totally appropriate for us. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, your lips were the first... Outside of my immediate family that my lips had ever touched. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, was such a big day. We were, yeah. we were on the ice skating rink. Do you remember this? Do you even remember our first kiss?
1: Mm, yes, I do. I do remember. I, I actually remember the phone call from uh, Monica Moscow, from your house, to ask me if I liked you.
0: <laughs> <gasps> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I've got details in here. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, so when last we met, uh, you know, I mean, for yes. our audience, this has been like two interminable weeks oh. to wait. I don't think they can
1: get over all the tears they just shed. <laughs> that was a very dark, dark tunnel.
0: Right? Sad.
1: Yeah. I am st- I still got tears in my eyes.
0: Right? <laughs> no, me too. <laughs> I'm probably going to cry again. <laughs> and, you know, and probably I told you that, you know, that I was going to make you fall in love with these guys and then I was going to blow them up again. You know, I mean, I feel like yeah. at least I told you what was happening. You know, yeah. it, it reminded me, honestly, uh, like some of what I felt doing the work on the Donner Party episodes. Do you oh, Did Did yes. you listen to those? Yes. Right. Okay. So, boy, right. Did I fall in love with those mm-hmm. guys too? And I was like, you know, it's, it's not like you start in 2023 researching the Challenger without knowing. Yeah. You know, you don't go into the Donner Party being like, God, I hope these guys make it. Right, or the
1: Titanic. Yeah. Like you kind of know how it yeah. ends up.
0: Yeah, yeah Titanic. Exactly. You see, actually, you bring up a, very good point, because, yeah, right, the space shuttle Challenger, truly, it has a, a ton in common with the Titanic. Oh, really? You know, yeah, I mean, when you think about it <clears throat> sort of broadly, right, the Titanic was the most technologically advanced thing of its time, right? It's so much better than, than what we've had before, and it made people feel <laughs> yeah. as if it was unsinkable, right? We're in the future where ships don't sink anymore, right? And in 1985, you know, for, for the American space race, it was similar. It was like they were literally trying to sell people on space flight being as safe as commercial flight. Right. I mean, they were literally like putting a school teacher up there and maybe a kid soon. Maybe you, maybe me. Let's all go. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and really, this is this is a perfect segue for me into the movies and like other pieces of pop culture that I think form like this ring around the historical mm-hmm. event. That is the Challenger disaster. And I think it's like really important to highlight these things because they gave us like the movies and stuff. They gave us like something of a cultural vocabulary to understand Challenger. Okay. So here's a, Star Trek is the obvious first one. I mean, I mean, and there is a direct line to Star Trek That passes right through NASA, right? NASA was basically like, yep, we're Star Trek. We're starting Mm -hmm. the new frontier. I mean, they literally hired Nichelle Nichols to recruit and like bring in talented recruits from the show. But like, you can do this, right? Um, But then there's also like more like less obvious (laughs) examples out there, like the movie Police Academy. (sighs) Yeah. So oh, yeah. that's 1984. I mean, that's about the same time that they announced this teacher in space. Mm-hmm. And, and the premise, the premise behind Police Academy is that the, you know, the police are now taking all kinds. Yeah. Women, minorities, gays, like all of these restrictions that we used to have are now gone. And and, and it's going to be a team of police that look, frankly, <laughs> right. like the class of NASA 1978. Right, you know. Exactly. Um. Oh, another one of my favorites mm-hmm. is the movie The Last Starfighter. Oh yes. From yeah, the, 1984. Oh, dude, I
1: love that movie. Absolutely oh, love that movie.
0: Yeah, me too. And and it was it was like another you know anyone with the skills is welcome. You know, new kinds of recruiting because the idea, like <laughs> the plot of the movie, is that this intergalactic military has placed these. These like seemingly normal video games around Earth. And if you play them and you get good enough at, at them that they like appear mm-hmm. and they take you to train with them in outer space. I mean, isn't
1: that what the military is doing now? I mean, you're flying mm. drones using a, a Xbox remote control. I mean, for right. Sake.
0: Right. Totally. Yeah, totally. Totally. And, and, and another uh, movie from that time, I think I mentioned this one in part one, mm-hmm. Alien. Right, and it wasn't just because of the oh, yeah. aesthetic. All right, I mean Ripley in Alien with her big permed yes, Judy, hair. Krista yeah. McAuliffe came for that look. Your girl Judy Resnick rocked the oh, Ripley. I'm still dreaming over here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me too. Seriously. I mean, I don't can yell, but oh, and there's this picture, by the way, of her from space during her first mission aboard Discovery, from like I don't know a year before this, and um, and the crew is inside the orbiter. You know, in their sweats, they're just floating and Uh. chilling and being astronauts. And there's Judy. And she's just like floating above the rest of the crew, the guys, like over their shoulders. And it's just these perfect thighs. (laughs) Seriously, like flawless legs and that beautiful hair. And I feel so complicated talking about it because like, you know, Judy got pissed. Because cunts like me were like, ooh, hot lady, astronaut, yes. You know, like people didn't, they were like discussing her PhDs or her musical abilities, but like, she's single and she likes beer and that hair. And she was like, God damn it, you know, stop sexualizing me, right? And like here I am, you know. Look at those thighs. It's like fuck.
1: Sorry. Well, I'm thinking I need to po- print a poster off and put it above my bed. Oh. You know, kind of like the '80s when people would do that type of stuff, right?
0: Oh, that's a good idea. You know what? I'll I'll commission you Ooh. to do me a Judy Resnick portrait, and then we'll like we'll like give it away to subscribers, and raffle or something, right?
1: Floating in space. With yeah. Nice- curvature legs oh. all the cuss words coming out a couple of bottles <laughs> of whiskey floating
0: all <laughs> yeah, right you see it
1: that's a, you that is it. a wet dream waiting to happen
0: <laughs> oh man and you know what like when you come in space it's everywhere everywhere yeah, it goes everywhere apparently <laughs> <laughs> apparently people have had sex in space oh, i mean come back. i mean it's all guessing you know i mean i don't think that nasa has like an official record of Ugh. sex in space, but like, you know, they'd be fucking and space stations up there forever. There's gotta be. and yeah, They've gotta, gotta be. be. And apparently I've heard a rumor that to have mm-hmm. sex in space, you need help. You need someone to actually like push you together because really, yeah. Because like the way <laughs> gravity works is like, you just can't get that.
1: So the only s- sex in space is <laughs> an orgy. It's gotta be an orgy. Yeah, Isn't
0: that nice? See what I mean? Space really brings people together. (laughs) Okay, the last movie, you know, contemporary to the disaster that I want to reference, is Space Camp. And this one came out in June of 1986. So that's Mm -hmm. actually, that's five months after the Challenger Mm -hmm. exploded. Oh, and the cast. Oh, Leah Thompson, who was uh, the lead girl in Back to the Future, so we're all in love with her. Mm -hmm. Kelly Preston, hello, Tish, yes. Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, this movie is like... Great. And the premise is these kids, you know, they're on a tour of NASA and oops, (laughs) they accidentally launch a space shuttle for real into orbit and they, you know, they got to use their wits and their power of friendship to (laughs) beat the odds and get back to Earth. I loved it. (laughs) But like the people, you know, in general, they were, they didn't, they were Mm -hmm. pissed off. It was like, it was being criticized. You know, what are their motives? Like, how dare you're capitalizing on this disaster? You know, and the movie and the filmmakers were like, no, God, you know, we filmed all of this way before. We were trying to capitalize on the success. <laughs>
1: yeah, but if they're trying to get Ralphie up in the air, right?
0: Yeah. What's his right? name? Uh, Billingsley. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. Billingsley, sorry. You know, that's capitalizing on the idea we want to get kids into the space into the shuttle up in space yeah so i mean this all parlays right into each other right we're gonna do a kid movie we're gonna put a kid in space all the kids are gonna love Mm. it next thing you know we have a whole new generation of you know moonwalkers so to speak (laughs) i want to be out
0: moonwalkers yeah you're exactly you're exactly right right and it's totally rich for people to be like Mm -hmm. how dare you hollywood trying to capitalize Mm -hmm. on nasa and you're like fuck nasa was trying to capitalize on kids teachers kids right shut the fuck up Now, before I, I get into the technical aspects of like what actually happened in the, in the explosion and the cover up and the crazy, I want to start with a story <laughs> that kind of brings us back to the humanity of it. Yeah. Okay. Because when last we met, you know, the families of the crew, you know, their loved ones, you know, they were like, oh God. All right. Well, all right.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Like, I guess we got to go to bed and get up in the morning. I don't know. I, I feel like it's one of the worst Things After a personal tragedy Mm -hmm. is the, you know, you mean we got to just keep eating and like paying mortgages and just go on like our heart isn't like, like life hasn't just fucking stopped, you know, and June Scobie, the wife of the commander, Dick Scobie, and they were, you know, so in love. I mean, you'll see more of it if you watch um, the Netflix documentary. They got married when she was 16 and he was 19. And she has her PhD mm-hmm. in education. And so, of course, she had been, like, really good friends with Krista, yeah. too. You know, and, and at the end of this night, I mean, she, mm-hmm. June, man, she's been keeping it together. You know, I mean, I'm sure as much as you can for the kids, you know, you just got to do the best you can. But then there's finally this, like, moment. You know, the kids are in bed or wherever they are and the and the people who held your hand they're gone are they gone to sleep you know and, and and nobody's looking at you you know you can just fall completely apart finally you know and and she does this thing that I've, I've done in my grief I, I believe almost everyone has done it given the opportunity she goes into the closet and she just hugs his clothes
1: that smell yeah. she's just yeah, smelling smell, his
0: clothes yeah. Exactly, it's smell—the smell and the feeling of his clothes—and while she's doing that, she feels an envelope.
1: Okay, hold on now. Hold on. Now. I, I, I gotta, I gotta say something here. Like, <laughs> she's finding. This is my prediction. I gotta make a prediction because okay. I don't know nothing about any of this. I didn't do any research. You, I told you I was gonna play stupid, and I am stupid. Really, oh. it's in my name. My name is Ad Dom. Get it? No. <laughs> but, Stop uh, it. She's gonna find an envelope that he pre-written. For a purpose. Mm. There's got to be something good here. Mm. Like, you can't write movies about this shit. (laughs)
0: This is reality, right? Yes, and it is for a purpose. Okay, go forth.
1: Go forth and make me cry again. (laughs)
0: Jesus. (laughs) Oh, hey, wait, no, no. Before I do, I'm very curious. Okay, what do you think uh, That he wrote?
1: I think he wrote something inspirational. Like, if you're reading this, you know, I'm not there. Something happened. I want you to understand, you know, I love you. I love the children. I love this. And, you know, I did what I did because, you know, this was who I am. And my inspiration in life was to be this and to go to the places to inspire other people to reach for mm. the stars, so to speak.
0: Mm. You know, you know, Adam, in a way you're totally right. Because that yeah. is, I mean, that is what it was. But but from the heart of an optimist, right? Okay. Like not dear babe in the event of my death, you know, just in case, not worst case scenario he left her a valentine oh
1: seriously yeah Mm.
0: so i mean this the space shuttle took off on january 28th Mm -hmm. and they were going to be in orbit you know for a little over a week so he knew especially if they scrubbed it a few times and there was like any kind of delay and then they have to land somewhere weird a bolt (laughs) you know who knows but you know there were good odds that he wasn't gonna have time to get her a valentine And so when you say that it was him saying, you know, I know what I'm going to do and it could kill me and blah. It was, but it was like the bright side of that. Like it was, you know, I don't want to miss a chance to tell her how much I love her. Dead alive. He just didn't even want to be late well, telling go. her he loved like, her.
1: I wish I could be that romantic. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I've done some pretty romantic things in my day. Yeah. but yeah that's yeah. like that's like right out there
0: right yeah that's a good one and you know and like good luck to you too like listeners man next time you fuck that up <laughs> right and you try and oh babe oh, valentine i'm sorry i missed getting you a card i had a gig you know you could be like mm, yeah you know what dick dick scoby had a gig <laughs> too and he died doing it got his wife a valentine on time <laughs> I wanted to start with that story to just bring us back into, you know, the arms of these people, because I'm about to get somewhat Mm. technical and and we're about to, to kind of get into the courtroom because here's what happened after the explosion immediately after. Okay. 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 We're seeing like a trident shape of white smoke steam against a bright blue sky. And most of the people who were like emotionally attached to this knew something was wrong but all of the technical people like knew something was wrong okay and so while we're still just staring at it and being like i don't know what that is nasa is shutting it down literally like lock the doors hands off your keyboard nobody touches a screen no one touches a piece of paper nobody touches a fucking telephone Hmm. we're locking it down nobody leaves obviously okay and and in hindsight you know probably at the time you know folks are like Yeah. Well, yeah, because you got to figure out what the fuck happened. Mm -hmm. Right. Because we are still in the midst of the Cold War. Right. And I don't hear I never heard really any reports of people like suspecting or thinking that this was sabotage. But the bottom line is something went wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So if somebody did this to us, we got to shut it down. So they don't, they don't get out. If somebody fucked up, we got to shut it down so they don't cover up their fuck up. Yeah. If somebody fucked up and doesn't know it, then we got to shut it down so that we don't lose the critical evidence that will yeah. ultimately lead to what yeah. happened. So there's like, you know, there's all sorts of like legitimate <laughs> reasons why lock it down. But it is a tight shutdown. Okay. And generally the public is assuming, you know, and, and also being told by NASA HQ, boy, gosh, we got to figure out what this is we don't know what happened this is this is a mystery to be solved okay in reality there are there are at least a dozen people who the instant that that white smoke appeared against that blue sky went it was the o-ring huh Ooh. and thus the cover-up
1: so i never begins i never knew there was like a conspiracy theory based off of the outcome of what really happened so this is gonna be interesting
0: it is so interesting and here's the good news you know which i mean and given the tragedy you know it's hard to use a phrase like good news but yeah i mean it's almost the best news which is that the reason that we don't recall this as a conspiracy as a cover-up is because it was short-lived yeah right the truth comes out quickly publicly yeah the powers uh, that are trying to cover the truth obscure the truth they're thwarted yeah. yay yeah. you know i mean that's not usually the case but for sure from the get-go The various mouthpieces from NASA were like, yeah, (laughs) what was that? What, what, what? You know, we're going to start trying to figure that out. Right. Well, there were others, right, right behind them before the smoke had even cleared from the sky, just Mm -hmm. yelling. It was the O-rings. It was the O-rings, bitch. Right off the bat. Yeah. You know, I mean, there were people that had been saying these O-rings don't work right. And they definitely don't work right when it's cold.
1: Oh, so are these O-rings made of a substance that kind of shrinks in the cold mm. or expands, you know, depending upon heat transfer and differences? I mean...
0: <laughs> well, I mean, aren't we all, Adam? <laughs> but yeah, but you're exactly right. I mean, you know, I mean, that's why yeah. the cold was such a big deal. You know, we talked in part one about like, why should 22 degrees above zero matter to a yeah. space shuttle? Well, if you built the goddamn thing. Not only did you know the answer yeah. to that, right? But you'd been saying because of the O-rings, because they don't work right in the cold and they failed before. And and no, it hasn't been catastrophic yet, but we know they fail in the cold. They fail worse the colder it gets. And we have never launched in weather this cold and warming, warning, warning, right? Yeah. And And here's one of the reasons why those warnings were ignored. Okay. And it is because it is particularly important, particularly in 1986, that we all agree that NASA is the epitome of human advancement. Mm -hmm. It is simply the best, right? It has to be. We were sort of toe to toe to the Ruskies, you know, and we were sweating because, because Russia went to space first, and that hurt. <laughs> and they had sent two women before we even sent one. guy, You know, and they're working their hardest, and NASA's doing their best, and they are awesome, but they're also like, NASA doesn't fuck up. And they certainly don't like to look like they fuck up. Yeah. You know, they'd had one tragedy, and that was Apollo 1, and it was a practice. And so it was years ago. You know, we figured it was freakish. Nothing could like that could ever happen again. They're so smart. Their budgets are huge. They have every sensor. They have the best of everything. You know, surely if they had an inkling that anything was wrong. And we, and we have already seen that in practice. The hatch didn't close, right? Yeah. So we scrubbed the thing, right?
1: And no battery for your drills. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's so much there. Like, bring the ego down just a tad bit here, people. Yeah,
0: right. Mean, ego, yeah. But Adam, it's also a lie. Yeah, facade. I mean, and during the launch, right before the launch, behind closed doors at NASA, there were those who knew the true shit. Okay. And here is what NASA was actually dealing with. Okay. They did not have enough money for the ambitious schedule that they had set. Right. So so I told you that they have these four shuttles, right? Discovery, Challenger, Columbia, and Atlantis. And these are like these are the incredible ones. These are the ones that can land again. And and that's why we kept saying that we can save all this money because we don't have to build a new shuttle every time. But like they started getting over their skis really fast and just saying yes to people who are paying them. To launch satellites, right? People are paying them to get these people out there and they need the money desperately. So they're just saying yes, 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 yes to launching, right? Okay. All of these things. Okay. And because of that, they're not like they're behind fixing updating, replacing several critical pieces that are, that are necessary to make these things safe, right? Scientists are still learning, right? So when these boosters, for example, the solid rocket boosters fall into the ocean after a launch, a successful launch, right? And the astronauts, they're doing their thing in space. These boosters are examined, how'd they do? Mm -hmm. And they were like, these O-rings are busted, or this part is broken. And then they'd be like the scientists back in the lab trying to figure out what happened. But you know, the next launch is around the corner. We gotta get Discovery up, and they're like, "Hang on, we should really—I don't redesign or fix or replace this flawed thing." And instead of doing that, it's make do, right? Figure it out. We're missing something. Cannibalize it from another space shuttle, and then when that space shuttle goes up, they can find the piece somewhere else. It's not great. No. no. Okay, and it is definitely like not as advertised.
1: So, what's the size of this? What's the size of this O-ring? I mean, are we talking like an O-ring three inches wide? Oh. Are we talking something that's like eight feet wide? Sure.
0: Know? Well, it goes it goes around the solid rocket booster, so it's okay. huge.
1: All right, so it's huge. It's huge.
0: Okay. Yeah, like it's going around like there's three solid rocket boosters, and each one has, I think, two joints
1: each. That's the highest rocket ever. Oh. <laughs> Sorry.
0: <laughs> right. Two joints each, or we just can't get high enough. <laughs> Same. <laughs> so all of that brings us to what the fuck happened
1: really what the fuck
0: okay now i'm gonna break down what the fuck happened and i'm gonna give it to you from three places right what's happening in three different places first of all what happened to the boosters yeah like why the fuck did this thing blow up right second what happened to the orbiter to the capsule holding the crew because that's has its own separate experience, right? And three, what was happening in the boss's office? Okay, right? Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> so first, what happened to the booster? All right, that's the thing that actually exploded. All right, so there's these three big old solid rocket boosters, and they each have these O-rings. And as I've said, the O-rings, now, and bear in mind, all right, you are listening. To an historian, explaining NASA mm-hmm. engineer, Not an engineer? <laughs> <laughs> no, not even with Legos. <laughs>
1: yeah. Be gentle right. on the emails here.
0: <laughs> right, thank you. Be gentle. But, you know, I mean, the general idea, okay, is that these O-rings are creating a seal with the okay. fuel tank. So that you, you know, like from a bird's eye view, you're looking at this booster and it's just as tall as fuck. It's just this like three-story white pillar. But that within that, there are these joints. And, yeah. that, and that those joints are held together with these rubber O-rings. And the fuel mm-hmm. that is being held behind them obviously has to be held very securely. Because on the outside of these solid rocket boosters, it's going to be hot yeah. white fire. Yeah. And so if any kind of fuel can ignite, mm-hmm. you know, it's about yeah. to meet its mistress off the quick. <laughs> <laughs> and this is like my favorite sort of fun fact about the Challenger if you can call it that. Mm-hmm. And it is that they find out long after they do this extensive investigation that that the Space Shuttle Challenger should have exploded the instant the launch started. Oh, really? Yeah on the launch pad because the o-rings were compromised mm-hmm. from the get-go meaning that the the flame already had an open path to the fuel it's so like why didn't it blow up instantly killing incidentally a lot more people because it would have happened and and destroying a lot more critical infrastructure because now the whole launch pad is destroyed right yeah. so how did it get a minute and 18 seconds up so could Before, that have something to
1: do with the idea that the higher you get through the atmosphere, the colder the air gets? Mm.
0: Well, yeah, and that was one theory. That was certainly one of the theories examined, one okay. of many, because okay. by all accounts, it really should have blown up instantly. I mean, so much examination that they were left with a word that not a lot of scientists use this word. They said it was a miracle. It was a miracle. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, that's not scientific.
0: no. No, but neither is Possum's Fargo, but you know, here we are. <laughs> right? Cake, cake is, cake is signed. Oh, yeah. Don't eat your Another cake. Damn card game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but what they later determined happened was that if the fuel had been leaking, okay, it would have ignited the instant it met the flame, which means the whole thing would have been blown up. But what happened was that it was so cold <laughs> that a small frozen chunk of fuel was actually like plugging the hole. And it might have stayed there until, you know, until after it separated. In which case, oh. we might never have noticed. You know, okay. but it got jostled. Yeah. All
1: the shaking and vibration. Yeah, yeah. It was
0: a gust of wind. Yeah. And the theory is that, you know, a gust of wind shook it, opening that hole. And and that it was quite literally a fraction of a heartbeat later that it blew up. Crazy. <laughs> so that's what happened in the shuttle. Okay. Yeah. The orbiter, which is... You know, the spaceship, you know, where the people, where the humans are. Oh, are you, you still got some whiskey still? Uh, yes,
1: I just refilled. Okay, so good. we're good to go. Okay, good. You're going to want to
0: keep her. Okay, like keep her close. Because inside the orbiter, all right, the explosion that we saw didn't kill them. All right, our crew was alive inside for possibly as long as two and a half minutes.
1: The floating down to the water, hmm. in the water?
0: No, well, see, people were very optimistic, if you can use that word I mean you know, they were optimistic that they died mm-hmm. instantly. In fact, a lot of people were saying there's you know there were a lot of newscasters, folks saying within hours of it that they were they were like, they're dead for sure, which they were they were dead for sure, mm-hmm. like everyone should know that we're not about to find you know there were no parachutes, no one no one is expecting to find the crew alive, but please take some comfort in knowing that they would have died instantly, yeah. right yeah, there was which no all. Exactly. You know, it's, it's what one hopes, but the reality is that we just know that that is not the truth. now. Okay.
1: So through like forensics, you know, that type of stuff. Mm
0: -hmm. Right. So, you know, and it takes a while, it takes a week or so before they find the orbiter. All right. It is in like a hundred feet of water when they ultimately find it. And after the examination, here's what they learned. Okay. I mean, that orbiter is tough. It's built to handle some shit, you know, and the heat and all that stuff. So even with the explosion, they were alive. Their critical systems would've been intact at first, right? So the first like real problem is the Mm -hmm. force of the explosion, the Gs, right? The pressure on their body. It would've gone from something like five Gs to 20 Gs, which hurts. You know, you've seen the videos. I think of like, you know, your cheeks flapping and like your eyes pulled back, but it would've been worse, you know? But not for long. I know because you know then they'd get up yeah. to a certain height and then it would have stabilized before they started to fall, you know, slowly back down to earth. Yeah. And when they examined the inside of the shuttle, some of the things that we pieced together of like what happened were there are switches because you know they've gone through they've gone through training mm-hmm. of what to do in a gazillion scenarios and the evidence shows that you know th- that their training worked. You know, you, 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 what you want to do is for it to be reflexive, second nature, you know, and okay, there's an explosion. Your right hand reaches down for that switch and that lever and, you know, where do you find your oxygen tank? Where's the bag? What do you do with your guy? You know, and they go through these drills. Well, you know, there were switches that we know they triggered. Yeah. Levers pulled some emergency protocols authorized, you know, they lifted a cap, pushed a spring, the activate, you know, stuff that simply doesn't happen on impact, no matter how traumatic the impact might have been.
1: So no force of explosion or the shifting of this vessel going up to down could have made any of that happen.
0: Right. Exactly. Right. And we don't know. I mean, mission control doesn't have yeah. anything after Mike's uh-oh.
1: How many seconds after uh-oh before it blew up again? Do you Did you have yeah, a that second. time frame? second. Yeah. Okay. A heartbeat. Okay. Yeah.
0: Like, like it was for the people in okay. terms of like speed of light and shit. I mean, it would have seemed simultaneous that they would have noticed the explosion at the same time that they heard the uh-oh and then, you know, that was it. Okay. As for their remains, because, you know, after a 200 plus mile per hour impact with the surface of the ocean, you know, the devastation to their remains was extensive. So after the examinations were done, they, they couldn't really conclude exactly how they died. You know, they could tell to an extent, you know, say what they didn't die of, like nobody drowned. Nobody was burned. Smoke inhalation didn't happen. Right. And so then the question is, okay. were they alive and conscious the whole time until the impact with the ocean? Mm-hmm. If so, you know, it was probably really bad. I couldn't imagine. You know, I it, they say it can feel like your blood is boiling when you fall that fast. I guess you can't breathe because of the pressure on your lungs. I mean, a, it was a traumatic end and it was just yeah. likely not as sudden as it looked on TV. Yeah,
1: Absolutely. It sounds horrific, really.
0: In fact, they were probably still alive when the voice, you know, came over the PA system and said, obviously, a major malfunction. They mm. were. They might have been alive still.
1: So they were alive enough mm. from for the fall, yeah. which is that two minutes that well, you're talking probably. about. But I can't imagine it would take two minutes to fall.
0: Well, I mean, the explosion, you know, sent them further up, up into the air. Up right? in the air, okay. So there's time... Like, if you've ever seen, like, you know, like, Point Break, right? Where they do all that falling. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, they have a, Mm. you know, they got time for a whole fist fight before they hit the ground. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So That's what was happening to the shuttle, right? To the orbiter. Here is what was happening in the boss's office. Okay. Okay, so... Back up a little bit. Okay. Come back with me to Monday night. That is the night before the fatal launch. All right. Mm -hmm. And the powers that be are fucking furious. Okay. They're looking around. They're like, okay. Okay. So we scrubbed Sunday because of the rain that never came. We could have done it then. Then on Monday, this whole fucking strip bolt battery operated clown (laughs) car that (laughs) scrubs (laughs) the second thing, right? (laughs) And now it's Monday night and these fucking engineer crybabies are telling me it's too cold fuck you all right you know the gipper wants a win you understand we got to get this thing going so they have this conference call i mean it's 1986 okay so you got to remember there's no zoom Mm -hmm. yeah i mean they have the best technology in the world but it's still just like one phone in the middle of the table probably and you've got the solid rocket booster engineers Okay, they're sitting in the conference room in Utah at the HQ of a company called Morton Thiokol, and they're the ones who make these big... Solid rocket boosters, all right? Then you've got the folks at the Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral, Florida. And they're sitting in their conference room, and oh, they're already fuming, man. Everybody's fucking mad. And no doubt, they're just talking over yeah. each other. Dicks is out. Everybody's... Right? <laughs> but the fight, you know, generally is this. The engineers at Morton Thiokol are saying, look, cool. there's not going to be a launch this morning either. Sorry, guys. Yeah. It's too cold. And we're telling you, and the engineers have... Hand-drawn, Adam, the situation with the O-rings, and they have handwritten two columns. One column is showing all of the temperatures in which these O-rings have failed.
1: So they've tested these yeah, before.
0: Yeah, well, they, yeah. Well, these, these are actually from previous launches, okay? They picked up, yeah, they're like, look, this is the condition of the O-rings after your five previous launches, man. They were fucked, man. And specifically, like, we picked them up, we looked at them, they're scorched. Really? These are being compromised during launch. And, and, and NASA had a rule, a protocol, that a lot of people leaned on, you know, especially when this whole cannibalizing the four shuttles for parts garbage. Oh, yeah. Because mm. for safety, forever, they made sure everything has a backup. You know, a failsafe, one more layer than is necessary. Backup defaults for a million just in cases. And if a primary... And a secondary uh, uh, backup system ever fails. Oh, wow. The launch is scrubbed. That's crazy. Their rule. And the engineers are like, yeah, look, two of them, primary, secondary, O-rings. They're both scorched. <sighs> so they're sitting around this conference table and they're saying look this is not working and it and it and it specifically when it's cold because i saying, mean yeah. you know that's what these two columns are showing the temperature and the destruction level of the o-ring and they were saying look the 53 degrees is the coldest that we've ever launched and those o-rings were fucked when we got them back and now 22 degrees you guys oh, and we're telling you don't that's, do that's it different. don't don't do it yeah right so these guys at cape canaveral you know who are answering to their own bosses and deadlines and whatever. They yeah. go, okay, you know, we'll scrub it. If you prove it will definitely fail. Yeah. Which is nuts.
1: You know, I mean, that's really? not how any of this has ever worked.
0: <laughs> we prove it's safe. I prove to you it's safe. And you're now asking me to prove to you that it will definitely fail before you'll like not agree. D- like what the fuck? And they're all kind of looking around like, So, like, what you want us to do is, like, say we guarantee our product will fail if you do this. And that's the only way that you'll scrub the launch. Ah, fuck, you know. And then this guy in Florida, he leans into the phone. He's the big boss, Lawrence Malloy. Everyone in the documentary calls him Larry.
1: Am going to like this guy or am I going to hate
0: this guy? Well, (laughs) I mean, he's the loudest voice saying that we have to launch today, you know. And he's fucking had it from the beginning. Oh, Lair Bear! all right? <laughs> when they first said earlier that day, oh, we're not going to launch today, it's too cold, he barked at him, something like, well, what the, you want me to wait, hold this fucking launch until April? I mean, okay, so he's certainly been, like, putting pressure on them, yeah. you know, saying, how bad can it be, you know, implying, and the, and saying sometimes explicitly, like, what the fuck, who cares, is it really that bad? <laughs> you know, and they're like, well, yeah, and he's saying, you know, I know, I know you're saying it's compromised, but, you know, they're you're saying they're compromised from launches, that were, that were successful. So they clearly didn't fail. So why, you know, why should we care? And so there's this back and forth for a while. And then the big bosses at the Kennedy Space Center and the big bosses at Morton Thiokol break off from the rest of the conversation. Now, let's have a private convo. You know, let's get away from these crybaby nerds for a sec.
1: Is there anything we've never learned from a movie? Like, all movies come to this. There's always that yeah. guy that tells everybody, fuck it, we're doing it anyway, and, and then the
0: tragedy The happens. tragedy happens. Thank you so much, because honest to God, Alien, right? Yeah. Alien had yeah. already come out. <laughs> so we've seen company <laughs> greed and ignorance kill smart, beautiful brunettes in space. <laughs> right. Everybody should know this one. <laughs> so they have a private convo and then afterwards, they bring in this engineer, right, kind of the like lead guy, and Larry Malloy says to him, "All right, you know, I've heard from you as an engineer, so now I want you to take your engineer hat off and put on your manager hat., uh-huh. uh, no. you know, we have to answer to budgets and schedules, and we have to explain to the press why we're not like you know, mm-hmm. so give it all of that." What would you do from a manager standpoint?
1: Oh, so that's going to absolve you of all your insane.
0: And the guy is like, "Well, fuck."
1: Yeah. You
0: know, when you watch all these old guys on this documentary, man, and they're all dealing with their role in the disaster, like what they did wrong or right, and their view then versus now, right? And they all said when it counted, okay, I'll sign off. Okay. You know, they've, they've got, you know, in hindsight, they got a lot of explanations and excuses. I felt pressured. I had no real power. I was covering my ass, following orders, whatever. Yeah, but they still signed. mm mm-hmm. yeah. And some with, you know, noted dissent. But yeah, the people with power, yeah. And then, later that day, they all sat. I mean, the engineers back in Utah, okay, they sat together, you know, and they watched the launch. Yeah. And one of the gals who worked there, she worked with her dad actually. Her dad is Bob Ebling. He was one of the biggest no voices to launching that day. And he's watching, and she was sitting next to him. And she said, you know, it was stressful. You could feel it. Everybody in there was kind of like clenched and like chewing their nails and just pacing. And then oh, when the launch went and it looked good for a minute, right? Some people relaxed. And she wasn't, she says, I heard my dad say, it's not over yet.
1: Mm-mm. Ain't you clear till you're in the space. And
0: then, the tragic explosion. Ugh, right. And in that room mm-hmm. of people, they knew instantly what happened. And and the head honchos knew. Yeah. Fuck, we gotta lock it down. We gotta get everybody's story straight. Which and you know the straightest story made them look like a bunch of inept cunts. <laughs> so Guns. so what they actually started asking for was for everyone to get the story like mm-hmm. straight ish, <laughs> right? And then. Hang a right and then stop. No more turns at all, right? In short, a cover-up. And it might have worked mm. <laughs> if it weren't for Sally fucking Ride. Fucking <laughs> oh, my God. So when we come back, <laughs> buckle up for the ride right. of your life. <laughs> this podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Hello, my name is Jack, and I am the host of the Secret Police podcast. Do you have a problem with authority? Because I do, and I'm on a mission to help us all build a healthy skepticism towards those in power. I do this by exploring how dictators enforce their rule. On Secret Police, we explore the history and methods of the world's most brutal secret police forces. Currently, we are chronicling Russia's long relationship with secret police forces from Ivan the Terrible's Oprichniki, the Soviet secret police, up to the modern day FSB. If you're into history, dark humor, and hearing about the worst of what the human race has to offer, this is the show for you. Listen to episodes of Secret Police on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you find podcasts. Agents dismissed. Now, before we return to the launch pad, a heartfelt thanks for listening. This, you tuning in, is the whole reason I started Hilf and the reason I will keep doing it. I love hearing from you, your suggestions for future episodes, letting me know where and when you listen. <laughs> I'm in your kitchen when you cook. I'm tagging along on road trips. I love it so much. And some of y'all, you know, take it up a notch. You write reviews. You send an episode to a bud. Yeah. And then gasp. There are those real hot twats, my patrons. <laughs> we had two new folks hop into bed with the pod Kaya P and Will P. <laughs> so don't worry, Will. Change the sheets. <laughs> uh, their lust is palpable, their generosity deeply felt. <clears throat> if you'd like to join them, have access to bonus episodes, and hear your name, yay, <laughs> go to patreon.com slash me, podcast, and then... Follow me, follow me,
1: follow me, follow.
0: So we've come along all together to yeah. the aftermath, all right? And we've, we've all kind of dried our tears, and everyone, you know, the media, the families, other yeah. astronauts, right? In general, everyone is like, yeah. so NASA. <laughs> what happened there? Yeah. And NASA was like, wow, I know, right? That was awful. <laughs> that was mm-hmm. a real tragedy. And then we were like, yeah, it was. But the fire, though? <laughs> you know, cause there was like, there was a fire that we saw, you know, we examined the footage enough. And even with them 1986 video cameras, we could see that there was like this little flame that shot up at kind of a weird time, kind of one of them rocket boosters. Right. And NASA goes, mm, you know, we actually, we like to call that an unusual mm-hmm. plume. You know, and we were like,
1: well, "Okay." Well,
0: yeah. What, what was with the fire? And they were like, "I'm sorry. We really prefer to call it an unusual plume."
1: Trying to push the direction of verbiage,
0: for sure. And we were like, "No, fuck your unusual. What happened?" And they were like, "Ugh, what happened? Well, life, I guess. That you know, what yeah. big leaps in human technology. People die. It's sad, but you know, bullshit, bullshit. Columbus oh, sailed geez. the ocean. Bullshit, bullshit. The railroads were built. The bullshit, bullshit. Covered wagons. You know, people die." For the sake of progress. And we were like, (laughs) but, like, what? What, right? What technically went wrong? Yeah,
1: yeah. Where's the detail? And
0: NASA was like, (laughs) again, you know, we're going to go with human limits on this one. That's what went wrong. Humans often try to do great. I mean, honestly, get right? And every eventually, everybody was like, this dog don't hunt, man. This stinks. You stink.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) And there's, you know, enough pressure that Ronald Reagan, who's a big fan of NASA... Of course. I mean, he had his fingers (laughs) up in all them pies. It was his order, remember. Let's get a danger in space. So he feels pretty obligated, you know, to appoint an investigation, a commission, to get in there and figure out what the fuck is what, right? Why do they keep telling us it was an unusual plume and being so cagey, okay? But he's also going into this, like, a little reluctantly, this investigation, because he himself is kind of a bullshit, bullshit, railroad, bullshit, bullshit, covered wagon guy, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And he knows he has yep. to make sure that NASA comes clean. But, like, when he creates the commission and he assigns the guy to lead it, a friend of his, this white-haired dude who'd been around forever, Secretary Rogers, he said specifically, don't embarrass mm-hmm. NASA. He doesn't say okay. don't find the truth, but he's like, they're going to have to launch again. So let's just not make this a shit on NASA party. All right? And and Secretary Rogers seems to sort of take that note And on the commission with him, a bunch of very important people, including a bunch of astronauts, Chuck Yeager, right? Mm -hmm. Neil Armstrong and Sally fucking ride Mm -hmm. are part of the group that comes together to be on the panel of variously interested people who can help get to the bottom of this. Right. And and the bottom line is, at first, that the folks from NASA, they're very good at math, not great at lying. Mm -hmm. Of course not. Okay. And so, and, and at first it starts off where they're just like, yeah, you know, this sucks. The things we're trying to figure it out, (laughs) you know, we're going to try to figure this out. And then secretary Rogers would be like, well, we know you're doing your best, but what happened in this sad accident? And we don't need you to get into specifics, but we're just curious about, and it's all very softball and it's all very kind of easygoing. But Mm -hmm. then, they start to just straight lie about stuff. For example, saying things like, no secondary systems had ever failed. Ooh. Exactly. Well, and you and I have detailed. already, that's the one. That was the fucking one. The mm-hmm. secondary O-ring had failed. And that was well, what I mean, had all those...
1: a, Yeah, if you have a standard operating procedure and you say that I have, a, I have my primary and my secondary, if my primary fails and my secondary fails, we don't do this. Exactly. And now you're saying there was no
0: secondary. And now you're saying there was never a secondary failure. So yeah. that our policy is that if there had been a secondary failure, obviously we would have scrubbed the launch. but we didn't have any secondary failures. Mm. And there are engineers in the room during these public hearings, Adam, that stood up.
1: Good. That Did they up. say the right thing?
0: And they said, I said that there were secondary pounds. I said that it was too cold. And yeah. so what do they do? They stop having public hearings. They of go, course. Oh, that's interesting. We'll hear from you. Thank you for your contribution. We're, we're really grateful for your time. We'll get to you. And they just stopped making the hearings public. And one day after a particularly kind of troubling hearing in which a lot of the folks on the commission were like getting frustrated because they weren't getting to ask the hard questions. And even if they did, they weren't being given the time to get those hard answers. Um, one of the members of the commission is walking through a hallway. He's like, Oh yeah, his name is Don, uh, Kutina. He's fucking brilliant. He's an engineer. He's an astronaut. He was a pilot in Vietnam and he smells a fart big time. This whole thing, he doesn't like it. And he's kind of walking in this hallway in between hearings. And clip-clopping mm-hmm. next to him is Sally fucking Ride. She walks past him, Adam, and without looking at him and without saying a word, she slips him a note.
1: Ooh. She you just puts
0: me. in his hand a folded piece of paper. Ooh. And what walks on. I know, it right? It wasn't a Valentine. It was a Valentine. <laughs> and she walks on. And he's oh. like, all right. And he unfolds it and looks at it. And this note is the handwritten, columned paper that those engineers had brought to that conference room with the fucking temperatures and the O-ring mm. breakage. Now, we don't know exactly who gave that to Sally. I mean somebody does, but she got it, it, obviously. And she and and Katina's looking at this thing going fuck, right? Oh shit. And it says O-rings at these temperatures, the O-rings break. Oh fuck. Now, a moment Mm -hmm. about Sally fucking Ride. Why would she do this and what was going on? I'm putting both of my hands over my heart while I say this. Okay. Sally Ride is, of course, the first American woman in space. Bad. Mm -hmm. Bitch, Right. Part of that 1978 NASA class that we talked about. Now, what this means, Adam, is that not only did she go to outer space aboard the Challenger. That was her boat. That was her ship. You know, I mean, all these assholes keep saying we shouldn't investigate because Columbus, you know, bullshit, bullshit, and the railroad's Mm -hmm. bullshit, bullshit. But I think that what they failed to know is that sailors like Columbus love their ships. Mm -hmm. folks who go on those trains they pat those wheels and say nice new shoes like sally ride loved the challenger and she loved those humans that her classmates i i told you how many were in that class of 78 she knew judy she knew ellison she knew dick she knew ron and She knew the Challenger, her ship, she was so emotionally tied up in this commission, like whatever they thought they were ticking a box by putting her on this thing, they just missed the fact that she had no interest in not sticking it to the fucks that killed her fucking friends Mm -hmm. by being bastards, right? Right.
1: Absolute bastards.
0: But she also can't stand up and say, I have this piece of paper that blows it open. You know, she's sitting on the commission. She's got certain things she's got to protect. In addition, she wants also, frankly, probably to protect NASA. Mm -hmm. You know, because so, but she's in a bind and she sees that they're lying. So she slips this note to Katina. Mm -hmm. Katina. Oh my God. Okay. So check this
1: out. (laughs) Katina.
0: Is best buds with another guy on the commission, this hot for teacher, total Mm -hmm. hilf, Uh a guy named Richard Fenman. Richard Fenman, girl. He has long hair. He is a fucking genius. He worked on the Manhattan Project. He loves smoking cigarettes. He's everybody's favorite professor. And he doesn't give a fuck Fuck. about these NASA fucks. And Katina and Fenman became friends because this commission's also full of a bunch of arrogant cunts. And so the first day that they all meet and they're all going to their first meeting, all these giant, beautiful black limousines pull up, right? Mm-hmm. And Katina's standing there, and Fenman's like, where's your limo, Katina? <laughs> and he goes, oh, I'm only a two-star general, so I take the subway. And oh. he laughs and slaps him on the back, and these two rode the subway to the commission together every day. Good. And we're Good. just, like, on the level, you know what I mean? <laughs> just, like, real genuine dudes. you so coming
1: back a little... Yeah, They don't need all that extra.
0: Yeah, no bullshit, right? Yeah. So Katina um, invites Richard Fenman over for dinner and is basically like, I don't, actually, there's no evidence that he's like, Sally showed me this note. (laughs) But the bottom line is he's like, Sally showed me this note. (laughs) And I, and now I don't, what are we going to do? We can't out Sally. We can't show this note. Mm Mm-hmm. So how do we, we're jurors, basically. How do we go into this commission now knowing this and like gently and lovingly getting the truth out without fucking anybody, right? Mm -hmm. And while they're talking about it, they go out to the garage where our guy Katina has his GT, his Opal GT sexy car, right? That he loves fixing up and he's got the hood open and he's got his workbench out. And on this workbench, he has little O-rings that are obviously on a completely different scale than the O-rings on the rocket. But same fucking thing, Mm -hmm. doing essentially the same fucking job. Mm -hmm. And he kind of looks at Fenman and he goes, God, you know what? totally organically and unrelated to any note handed to me by sally fucking ride it just occurred to me that the o-rings on my opal gt do get a little stiff in the cold don't they Mm -hmm. and they can leak in the cold can't they and fenman's like loud and clear buddy loud and fucking clear and he goes in the middle of the night adam to a hardware store (laughs) And he gets some O-rings and some pliers and a thing. Okay, now, oh, okay, buckle up. You and me, we're sneaking into a meeting at NASA, okay? It's this commission. It's Mm -hmm. February 11th, 1986, so we are two, three weeks max away from the disaster. Mm -hmm. And our buddy Larry Malloy, remember Larry? Oh, Bear. what are you going to wait me? Wait until April until I got a launch? And he's up there in front of the commission talking shit probably lying, maybe overstating some things, maybe he's got some charts and he's trying very hard to explain what could have happened. Boy, howdy, we're still scrutinizing how this whole thing could have happened. Obviously we wouldn't have gone up if we, blah, 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 blah. And at the best possible moment, (laughs) it dramatically right our guy fenman who in his normal life is just like a t-shirt and board shorts guy but in this meeting is like all buttoned up with his like hair combed back and his suit and stuff (laughs) and they all have are sitting at these tables so they got the usual trappings of like ice water and stuff he has his o-ring with his pliers in his ice water Now, one thing I want to say about Richard Fenman before I go on is he's a fucking Nobel Prize winner. I told you he was a genius, worked on the Manhattan Project. He's a laureate. He's a Nobel laureate, okay? Yeah. He reaches into his ice water glass, and he's talking like Krista would have talked to her students, which I find so beautiful and poetic in hindsight. And he does essentially a simple science lesson right there. And he says, I was thinking about my rings. I... Put it in ice water, it doesn't bounce back. It's just not pliable. Whereas in warmer environments, this will bounce back and maintain its plasticity. So maybe that's what happened. Did anyone ever tell you that that would be a problem? Behaving... Not only as if he had just organically come to this decision, which no one's going to question because you're a Nobel laureate, so no one's going to be like, "Did somebody tell you?" Because of yeah. course, you know, it's logical that he would have put this together. But he has fucking props. That means it gets on TV. You and me understand yeah. it, and mm-hmm. the d- people in the room understood it. And the floodgates, you know, really opened. the engineers and there weren't obviously between Sally Ride and how that note got to Sally Ride. You have a, a lot of folks who, who put their careers at risk, who start leaking things to the New York Times saying, I was in the room. We gave them the temperatures. We told them mm-hmm. that there could be a catastrophe. And ultimately, at the end of this, they lay out the conclusions of what happened. And they're mm-hmm. like, here are two major failures Are what happened? The O-rings and NASA's decision-making process, egos, Mm -hmm. arrogance, hubris. And that's the conclusion. And and also after that, our guy Secretary Rogers gets a little bit more like to Larry Malloy. He's like, Yeah, but you told him basically, I hear your concerns, and you're being pussies, right? (laughs) You know? And and eventually Larry Malloy is like, yeah. I may have said that, you know, so, and it's rough. And, and one of the downsides, right after the investigation, this, this thiacol plant where all the engineers were doing their jobs, like the O-rings failed, but they were telling everybody that, and they were trying to improve it. This huge plant that employed hundreds, if not thousands of people in Utah shuts down. All these all people are out of, of work. That. They all get pink slips. They they write, as they're driving, insult to injury, as everyone's driving home, somebody had written over mm-hmm. one of the overpasses, thiacall murderers. So fuck, well, you know, not course. our fault. But silver lining. The aftermath. People are getting mm-hmm. fired. You know, they fire this guy, William Lucas. He was the covered wagons, people die, we have to roll on guy. He mm-hmm. gets fired. Lawrence Malloy, the I, he moves on. But this Alan McDonald, who was the guy who was like, put my name on the whistleblower thing, published the thing, he is promoted and brought back to Thiokol as like the head engineer. He's put in charge of the task force to make those solid rocket boosters safer, which he does. He completely redesigns them. He gets the team together to build them. And two years later, in 1988... They launched Discovery again safely, and oh, there has nice. never been a catastrophic failure of a solid rocket booster ever again. That's awesome. Before we uh, say goodbye, and well, you um, gotta say and, goodbye. We, and we and I know, I know, <laughs> um, I I want to share with you. These are like these little fuckable nuggets, you know, that between yes. the books and the documentaries, like. I didn't, you know, they, it would have, it would have, uh, wrecked the flow of the story, but I could not sleep if I hadn't, if I didn't share sure. these right. little elements. Okay. So come back with me to the six months between Krista McAuliffe's training, right? Her receiving the mm-hmm. honor of being the first teacher in space. And then that January launch Mm-hmm. Um, during one of these trainings, they are in one of those, you know, gyrosphere things where they're like insides sort of looks like a carnival ride, you know, where you're spinning mm-hmm. and spinning and spinning and spinning. And actually she's still in the top 10. She hasn't been selected yet. So this is when they're trying to figure out which of these top 10 teachers is going to be the one. And one of the ways okay. that you kind of filter out who is not good at all of these high stress tests. And there were people who were much better at math than she was but fuck they keep throwing up <laughs> you know <laughs> or people who were like pilots they were trained pilots they weren't throwing up but they couldn't uh maintain their cool they they would mm-hmm. get into these oxygen deprivation deprivation situations and fucking panic and Krista kept her cool so she's still kind of in that testing phase okay. and they put them all in these gyrospheres where they're just being flipped and tossed and around and for some reason while she's inside some fucking plucky live on the edge risk taker, this 20 year old intern at NASA decides to jump onto the outside and like, I don't know, fucking lumberjack like roll, like show everybody how cool they are by being able to like hold onto the side. I have no idea. Anyway, they get flung so hard off this thing that they get thrown through a partition and later die. Oh, really and Krista was like in the gyrosphere when it happened and like heard a thump and everybody screaming and then it's just like blood and trauma and oh. everyone taking this poor kid's broken body and trying to get him out in time and she like saw it and tried to help and was just like a screaming mess and I'm like
1: god really?
0: bad omen that seems right? like that would have felt like a bad omen <laughs> Um, where's
1: the superstition now
0: right um (laughs) shortly after krista won quote-unquote the the, you know of the 10 you are now the one to be the teacher in space and everyone's sending flowers and she's autographs and celebrity among the mail she gets is from her life insurance company dropping her oh Because they're like, girl, it was like a school teacher and an astronaut are entirely different risk categories. No
1: way. Absolutely. And yeah. they
0: dropped her and that made news. And so as a PR stunt, as a reaction to her being dropped by her life insurance company, Lloyds of London jumps in and offers her a $1 million, you know, beneficiary.
1: Oh, and,
0: and that makes them a ton of press. And when she dies... Mm-hmm. They pay it out in about Good. 10 days and Good. with love. Yeah. You would I think
1: know. though NASA would provide that type of life insurance for them for doing this type of thing for them. Like, you would I think mean, so. they're a business. They're making money.
0: <laughs> I have like, no idea how that lands now, but right
1: form of life insurance for the people that are getting inside these rockets that could yeah. blow up.
0: <laughs> well, that might affect why you go fuck them launch, yeah. you know, not if you, know, you have to pay be. a million, for <laughs> everybody yeah, goes, right. Very true. Very true. Um, Oh, this is another great little nugget. You talked about your hard-on for Judy. Buckle up.
1: Oh, geez, yes.
0: There is a bar for NASA workers called the Outpost Tavern, and I guess it's like a barn behind a gravel parking lot, somewhere where Mm. you and I would never be able to get near it, right? Near it, yeah. And the walls are just covered in photos of shuttle launches and crews. And there's like these bulky flight suits, you know, nailed uh-huh. to the wall. And like just a lot of macho, you know, dog stuff. And apparently yeah. there's like one guy, like his favorite drink is called the flaming hooker because it's literally on fire when you drink it. Just like uh-huh. everybody, oh, you know, <laughs> and, um, and they have up on the wall, like, what is the definition of a cockpit? A woman. Uh Uh but this was still the bar where krista and judy and sally fucking ride hung out and they drank beer together and uh boy to be a fly on the wall at the outpost tavern am i right (laughs) oh man and to that same just like sexy environments there is this beach house That predates Challenger, I suspect it's still being used, and it looks like a middle-class beach house that anyone of, you know, even our Mm -hmm. kind of dirtbag relatives (laughs) might have been able to afford, you know what I mean? But it's totally secluded. There's not like any beach houses around this. NASA owns it. It's not far from Cape Canaveral, but far enough away that it's very mm-hmm. private. And it's got a bunch of bedrooms, but mostly it's just a casual sort of weekend cabin. But it is where the astronauts and the astronauts' families get to spend a weekend together before their launch. And it's, they throw apart, you know, they hang out, yeah. they camp, they grill, they just, are away from the media and they're away from the science and they get to just sort of hang out. And when you watch the documentary and if you read this book, there are so many cool events and anecdotes and just photographs of them, you know, arms casually draped over their wives with a beer in Mm -hmm. one hand, laughing out loud at somebody's joke. This is when our buddy Mike Smith decided to take his wife on a long walk down the beach and just told her everything he was thinking about. And man, I mean, if I, I do write a lot of, 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 you know, plays and such. And I've, Mm -hmm. I've just, since I've been reading this book, I've gotten in my head, I'm like the beach house. Like I have to write a short play (laughs) or some kind of screenplay treating. Yeah. yeah, About the challenger crew specifically
1: on the weekend
0: in the beach house and just the the love and the fights and the jealousies and the yeah. little dramas and,
1: man. I love that idea.
0: <laughs> right? Here's another interesting little nugget. So <laughs> apparently when you're in outer space, you know, your piss and shit are a thing. And it was so yeah. heavy and they didn't want to, like, carry the human waste and store it. And then you got to fly back with it. So they started just jettisoning it out of these shuttles and apparently one of the most beautiful things that you'll ever see in space is the like comet trail of piss when they open up the sewage locker because it's just glittering gold it's just like these glittering beautiful fragments of just beauty yeah And, (laughs) (laughs) and apparently when our girl judy was on her first space flight Something went wrong, and when they ejected the piss, it stuck to the side of the shuttle and froze there. Really? So there's just this, like, piss icicle, this pissicle, (laughs) just, like, stuck to the side (laughs) of the rocket. And it would have been gross and kind of funny, except that, like, they were like, but guys, like, this could be a problem when we... Start to re enter the atmosphere. If it breaks off at the wrong time and flies off and hits something, this brick yeah. of piss could fucking kill everybody. <laughs> and so, Judy, on her first flight with her robotic arm, one of the things that she did was get out there. And knock the pissicle oh, off of God. the rocket so that they you could a live another day. We've
1: on our, on our vehicle of urine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you know how I told you that the um, payload specialists and mission specialists would be doing various things associated with either the space flight itself or some other experiment mm-hmm. that they were up there doing? One of the yeah. coolest experiments that I read about was when they brought a colony of bees. Oh, really? Into space. To see how they would react and to see if they could make honey in space. And I love this. The bees couldn't fly, of course, yeah. because there's no air resistance against their wings. So their little bumblebee bodies are suddenly just like not flying and they can't, but they're still hovering. And what they did is the bees all linked feet and created this chain of oh, really? of them of their bodies and that... By the time the space shuttle landed, they had created a hive inside a locker and were making honey.
1: So they adapted to the environment. Isn't that quickly?
0: one of the most, like, yes. yeah, beautiful and just, like, Whew. encouraging things you've ever <laughs> heard? Ugh. And the bottom line is, isn't that what we all have to do?
1: Yeah, we should be doing if it,
0: so. Yeah, if you can't fly anymore, you just got to grab somebody's hand. And I want to leave you with this. Which is, in those last moments, or at least in the moments when they started to realize that something was happening, that was traumatic aboard the orbiter, Krista and Greg, the two payload specialists, were sitting, you know, in the back seat, staring between their feet at a wall. Almost everyone else had some view of a window, except for them. And the pain and the fear... And they were both on their first flight. Must have been overwhelming. And there was nothing they could do. You know, Judy and Ellison could, like, train to, like, stand up and flip a switch and maybe help somebody get oxygen. But they were just sort of strapped in and rolling with it. But they could, and certainly did, hold hands.
1: Mm.
0: And that, Mm. my friend Adam.
1: Oh, that was the best fuck I've had in a long time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but seriously, it was a two-parter. Oh,
0: right? We came twice.
1: Yes, yes, we did. We I came, feel like man, saw. in the
0: world of Back to the Future, I feel like man if I could go back to that stretch of carpet mm-hmm. and and lean down and whisper in our ears, you know? I don't know what Maybe. I would have said. You're going to you guys will fuck. It's not what you think and it takes 40 <laughs> <Yeah>. years. <laughs> 40 years.
1: 40 years. <laughs> That's awesome. It's going to be over this thing called the internet. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, you'll learn about that. Yeah. Cuz those satellites they're launching actually do stuff, you guys. I, mean, I guess this is
1: a form of AI sex. Yeah
0: sure there's intelligence in there somewhere Somewhere. (laughs) oh adam i really i really cannot thank you enough not only for being my friend for almost 40 years but for taking the time to listen to what is at this point hours hours of history
1: absolutely i would have not done anything more than just this today this is a beautiful thing
0: Well, my friends, listen, if you uh, want to get to know Adam a whole lot better, you can. You follow him. You're going to find links to all of his various exploits uh, in our show notes. You can go find him right now, buy his shit, and you try loving him as much as I do. Good luck. (laughs) Find Adam. Check out his work. Commission him to make you something dope. You will find links to him in our show notes. And you know what, go ahead and and hug a teacher out there somewhere while you're at it. (laughs) Our next episode comes from the dark pages of history we were never taught in school, a jaw-dropping, heart-rending story from the state of West Virginia during the coal mine wars called the Battle of Blair Mountain. It pitted coal miners against mine owners in what would become the largest armed American uprising since the Civil War. I'm joined by actor Peter Brettmeyer, who has appeared in countless movies, television shows, and commercials, and makes me laugh so hard I blow my mic out like a thousand times. Oh, until then, our theme song was composed and performed by the incomparable Kat Perkins. A reminder that you can find my sources links to the books, documentaries, and articles I reference in the summary of this episode, or by emailing us, hilfpodcast at gmail.com, or messaging us on social media at healthpodcast. If you'd like to become a patron of the pod, oh, <laughs> go to patreon.com slash hilfpodcast and see what's cooking. This has been Hilf, history I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Dawn Brody, reminding you that history is a party. And everybody's coming.